I know I don't have to tell you this, but this episode is only for educational purposes. It is not nutrition or personalized medical advice. We want you to get the most from the episode, but to keep that in mind as well. And we really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Quiet the Diet podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Shapiro. I'm an integrative functional registered dietitian in New York City who has helped over 1,000 clients reverse their anxiety, approach their weight lovingly, and heal their digestive issues. I help clients to access liberating self-awareness through humor, nuance, and compassion. I lost 100 pounds the wrong way so that you don't have to. You know, without all the physical and psychological damage that comes with it. Whole body health requires so much more than just going on a restrictive diet. The Quiet the Diet podcast offers a holistic look at what it takes to be your most vibrant, healthy self, all while doing it on your own terms. I want to help you quiet the diet so you can focus on all the other parts of your amazing health and life. Welcome to the pod. I can't wait to explore the magic of functional nutrition and medicine together. some conditions of the human body that show themselves in really interesting ways. And one of those conditions that I see a lot in my practice is acid reflux. Very interestingly, a lot of my clients experience back pain, this really uncomfortable feeling of gnawing inside of their stomach. Sometimes, sure, they could feel that actual feeling of burning, but other times it kind of presents itself like nausea early satiety, meaning you eat a little bit and then you feel full. It shows itself kind of like a low blood sugar symptom, but acid reflux is more than just that burning feeling. And the current treatment of reflux from a conventional perspective in the medical world is to prescribe PPIs, which are medications that help reduce the total amount of acid. Or in the nutrition world, the conventional model is to just kind of not eat foods that might irritate your stomach. So avoiding things like tomato sauce, citrus, coffee, and things that might decrease the pressure of your lower esophageal sphincter, which then can let acid come up from your stomach into your esophagus. On the other hand, in the functional medicine world, where I think there's kind of a gap between conventional and functional, in the functional medicine world, I see a lot of prescriptions for introducing more stomach acid. So whereby the model in the conventional medical world is that we have too much stomach acid and that's what's causing reflux. It's actually the opposite in the functional medicine world. We believe that a lot of reflux cases actually come from too little stomach acid. And we're going to talk about all of that in this episode and kind of where both approaches could use a little bit of a refresher, more support. On this episode, I have the amazing Erin Holt, who is a board certified integrative and functional nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. She truly blends evidence-based practices, functional lab testing, energy medicine, boundary setting, and humor for a unique and customized approach to women's health. She dives deep with women to get to the root cause of their health issues and finally get answers to their mystery symptoms. Erin also is the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, which is a 14-month practitioner training and mentorship program to help nutrition professionals level up with functional medicine methodologies. Erin is also a amazing friend of mine. Uh, We just get so excited about this topic. She's the person I really wanted to have on for this episode because I think that talking about reflux is such a nuanced 
issue and it's there's no one more nuanced than Erin. So I'm really, really excited to have her on. In just one moment, you're going to hear about our sponsor for this episode, Peak Tea. And I want to specifically mention their ginger digestive elixir to help with reflux symptoms. So as you're listening to the ad, keep that in mind that this sponsor was chosen specifically for this episode because one of their products is super, super helpful for reflux, either short-term and for healing in the long-term. Really, really excited for this one. Can't wait for you to listen. Our amazing sponsor for today's episode is Peak. I am extremely excited to talk with you about Peak, primarily because they're a group of products that I use almost daily. And specifically, I love their ginger digestion elixir, which I've used while traveling, while at home, really every single day. And what I love so much about Peak is that they have little packets that you can bring with you to mix into either cold or warm fluid. So it's so easy for traveling on the go. Instead of me bringing my ginger teas, I just bring these little packets and they taste amazing. And I've found really tremendous benefits, especially from their ginger digestion elixir. And what I've kind of started incorporating very recently and really excitedly is their new Radiant Skin Duo, which is a combination of two of their products, the Sun Goddess Matcha and the BT Fountain, which is a beauty electrolyte. And besides them tasting truly incredible, they're very mineral rich. And I know getting enough minerals is essential for both myself and my clients. More importantly, the function of these two products the radiance in the Radiant Skin Duo is really to support your skin from the inside out. We know our skin is the largest organ in our body and anything that happens inside or outside of our skin can influence us. The Sun Goddess Matcha and BT Fountain really work together to provide the foundations necessary for radiant, glowing skin. And these products include green tea antioxidants, clarifying chlorophyll, moisture-boosting hyaluronic acid, and clinically proven ceramides to reduce fine lines, boost your skin elasticity, and provide deep hydration in just 15 days. The Sun Goddess is the highest quality matcha available. It's organic, ceremonial grade, and quadruple toxin screened for purity. It is shaded for 35% longer, so it actually provides more L-theanine and chlorophyll, which can help with that cooling, calming effect again, inside and out on your skin and in your body. And that really shows up as clearer, calmed skin. The BT Fountain Electrolyte product contains bioavailable electrolytes and minerals, which I have seen work time and time again to help my clients combat brain fog and really provide that hydration on a deep cellular level. I'm so excited to be able to provide a discount code for all of you to get 15% off of your next peak order and free shipping for life. In your first order of your peak starter kit, You'll also get a frother and beaker. You can head over to peaklife.com slash quiet the diet. And when I say peak life, I mean P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash quiet the diet. We're also going to put the link for you in the show notes. I couldn't recommend these products more for their quality and taste. I recommend them to my clients all the time. And now I'm so happy to be able to share them with you. I am joyously here with the brilliant, the effervescent, the hysterical Erin Holt, the functional nutritionist we may know her as. Hi, Erin. Hey, uh, you didn't say unhinged, so I feel (laughs) lighted. I want to hear about kind of what you see or have seen in your practice when it comes to reflux. Are people coming in generally with diagnoses of reflux? Do they know what their symptoms are? Like what's, what's the experience of someone having reflux like with clients you've worked with or your staff has worked with? 
First of all, I am like refluxing. I'm refluxing hard right now. If there's something about oh, this of course we are. I'm, like, I'm feeling kind of burny. <laughs> I will say the the vast majority kind of understand whether whether or not they report it as their like chief symptom. Not always, you know. I would say like not always, but some folks like can identify. Like I feel burning in my chest or in my heart space. I know it's acid reflux or I know it's heartburn. Some folks will have gone to a doctor and maybe gotten a prescription or over-the-counter PPI or acid-blocking drug and like are aware that I'm on this medication to stop the acid production. And then some don't really know. They can just explain that when we kind of drill into like what their actual digestive symptoms are, they can they can kind of explain that they feel pressure or there's maybe like some belching going on or some like funky feeling throughout their chest. Some people kind of mistake it for anxiety or like heart palpitations or like a fluttering in the chest when it's really more of a like an acid reflex. I'm thinking of one particular client. He had, he kept thinking it was anxiety and shortness of breath is what, and so he kept going to the doctor and like the ER being like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And they're like, no, like your breathing is fine. He had gastritis, like pretty severe gastritis. That's, that's an ouchie, right? That's like a boo-boo on the inside. So he was like experiencing pretty significant acid reflux and not even knowing that it was acid reflux. Yeah, that's, I really find that very common with my clients. I've also noticed people having a lot of symptoms with reflux that are not actually burning. Like it's actually all these other symptoms. And I've noticed so much more reflux in the past three years than I have in my entire career as a dietitian. And I think it's, there's a couple reasons why I think that's happening. And I think we can definitely talk about that too. But what I'm seeing a lot for people is this feeling of, I don't, I don't call it nausea as much, but reflux can definitely cause nausea, but it's like this, I'm full, I'm full up to my neck kind of feeling. And like, I couldn't even look at food right now, that feeling of being too satiated. And I give this description, which is with a lot of my clients feel like with reflux, there's like a little man and like a, like an elf or something inside of their gut that's gnawing at them and like, like trying to break out, right. That hollow, intense hunger feeling and eating helps sometimes or hurts it sometimes. So it's like, they don't really know. People feel very stuck with reflux because it feels very flary, very cyclical. And there's this extreme discomfort and also sinus issues. Like you said, it can kind of, if the acid goes kind of in the wrong place, it can cause an inflammatory reaction through the rest of the body. And I think for a lot of people, they get symptoms that are very, they're not sure where they're coming from. And I noticed that one of those pieces of the puzzle is often reflux for those people as well. I don't know if you've seen that too. Absolutely. That I love that little, I'm going to use that one. Like there's like a little man like chewing his way through your gut. It's like that, you know, we all know the feeling of being like super hungry, like almost to the point of like nauseousness. And that can be a more frequent occurrence with reflux. So that's a really good one. I want to go back to what you said. You have some opinions on why you're seeing this more frequently. Do you think that it's because you're just like a little bit more hip to the game? So you're paying more attention to it. Do you think it's because you're seeing more patients in your in your clinical practice? Or do you actually think that there's an uptick in people experiencing this? And if so, yeah. why? I think there's an uptick in people experiencing it. So I've I've had reflux like from a very young age, because I was also a vegan for a long time. It's also, I think it's an empath thing, by the way. I think it's like part of the game, which we can talk about too. But I think my vegan diet also led to potential reflux. And we will definitely touch on that at some point too. But I've had it for a very long time. So it's always been top of mind for me and something I've been very, very interested in in functional nutrition. I believe that since the pandemic started, people are eating at home in positions that are very scrunched. They're eating on their couch. 
they're not moving as much. They're not moving the acid as much. And I think people are just more stressed and that can also lead to reductions in your overall acid load. We'll talk about that too. But I, I have seen in my clients who are like, so non reflux people, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're like totally having reflux. Like it's so weird. And I don't know if being indoors more has like, maybe a, there's like a indoor pollutants element to it. And then what we do again, that stress tie, but it's positioning. I think it's stress. I think it's for some people been weight gain during the pandemic. I, I, I just feel like the, those symptoms are are so overwhelming for people right now. Yeah. What a, what a what way to use your critical thinking, Michelle. Well done. You know, like I wouldn't have like gotten there by my, by my onesies, but I think you're like the position and then maybe probably like multitasking too. So you're, instead of like sitting down and eating, you're like sitting on your couch and watching a show and scrolling the Instagram. And it's like, everything's bleeding into each other. There's not like a clearly delineated, this is meal time. It's like more people are just like living, working, doing everything from home. So I think you're probably really onto something there. There's like less transitions. I like that you said that. And that's something I really noticed as an issue for people's health too. It's like, we're not transitioning environment also. We're going not going outside as much. We're not coming back in. We're not like acknowledging the transition. So again, we're more likely to be eating, more laying down in, in those worst positions. And, and just a lot of people have been walking less and things like that. So it's kind of just sitting there. And then when you're scrunched over, it's pushing up obviously too. And I think again, the stress piece. So I, I have seen it. I don't know also if the actual COVID virus, this is so weird, Aaron. I, I want to actually get your feel for this too. And within the first few days of having COVID, a lot of my clients experienced like extreme reflux. And that's the first sign that they knew that something was going on. I don't know if their body was just like creating more acid so it could burn up bacteria maybe or something like that. Do you have any insight on that? What, why people are experiencing reflux at the beginning of the virus? Not off the top of my head. I know that there can be like, a, you know, like a big histamine thing going on, but that's like kind of like after, you know, like that's like, that's more of like the, the long haulers type of vibe. So in the beginning phases, I don't know, because it's not, you know, the, the virus isn't coming in the, like through our food, like through our mouth and, you know, so like, would it make sense that there's like this uptick in stomach acid production that could be causing more of the reflux? I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. Just for us to think about. Yeah. I'll think on that one for sure. I'm throwing this to you totally on the fly. So you, there's no answer needed. I was just, I'm just thinking through it because I noticed that a lot. So that could have been part of it too. And then we can, at some point, if we can get to it, talk about the histamine and acid tie-in and and we can talk about that too. So we've uncovered that reflux is much more complicated than just this burning in the throat, that there can be these, you know, uh, symptoms, not only that gnawing little elf clawing at your stomach, feeling, feeling of early satiety, feeling, you know, sinus issues, nausea. Sometimes people even get back aches from reflux. I notice, and it can just be an, I, I think this like overwhelmed feeling of low blood sugar, jitteriness, discomfort, like you said, that fluttering in the chest. So when it comes to the conventional treatment of reflux, what's the landscape there? What's generally a nutritionist or a doctor going to recommend if you want to roll us through that, if you are having reflux? You know, it's usually to like, well, we have to back up and just say we're assuming that we're getting acid reflux because there's too much acid. 
that's being produced in the stomach. So that's sort of the assumption. If you're experiencing reflux, it's because there's too much acid. So the treatment is to shut down the acid production more often than not. So to prescribe a proton pump inhibitor or to put somebody on any type of acid blocking drug, even just like an over-the-counter, you know, like a Tums or something, the, the, the purpose of that is to neutralize the acid. So all of the interventions are based on the assumption that there's an overabundance of acid. And sometimes that's actually true, and sometimes that's actually not. More often than not, it's acid in the wrong place because our stomach is equipped and designed to produce acid, hydrochloric acid, stomach acid. And our our stomach can really withstand that highly acidic environment. Our esophagus, like not so much, right? So when we have acid in the stomach, it's not a problem. When we have acid where it shouldn't be in the esophagus, that's going to cause some discomfort and some pain. And it might be like, I can point to the area where it hurts, or to your point, it might be more of like a radiating pain, like, oh, it's uncomfortable up here. I'm not really sure what the heck is going on. And so the treatment strategies, even if somebody doesn't have a lot of acid, this treatment strategies to shut down acid production can sometimes be beneficial because if there's less acid, then there's less acid in the wrong place. But that is not really necessarily always getting to the root of the issue. And even, you know, more so, like more problematic is these drugs aren't really designed to be used long-term. I mean, even if you look at like the pamphlet associated with these medications, it's like six weeks of use. It's not long-term. And so some people are just kind of being put on these drugs long-term. And I'm not like, even though I've practiced alternative health modalities for the past 15 years, I am not anti-conventional medicine. I'm not anti-conventional. Whenever somebody, my hope and my intention is that when people are done listening to me talk, they walk away feeling like they have more tools at their disposal, not less. I'm not trying to like take things off the table for people. I'm just like, hey, let's talk about, is this the appropriate tool for you right now? And is it the appropriate tool long-term? And I just wish more of those conversations were being had in the conventional space. And I just don't see that being the case. So that's usually the conventional approach is to shut down the acid production. Yeah. So this is you're you're leading us into the very important conversation, which is that the kind of conventional model of acid reflux is too much acid, get rid of it, make it stop happening. The functional medicine approach to acid reflux, I also feel is generally quite flawed, which is that functional medicine doctors often say, you know, most stomach acid issues and reflux issues are driven by too low of stomach acid. And so we kind of move forward with these plans to, all right, give them betaine HCL, give people all these acid supplements. If the fire is already burning too hot and we pour more gasoline on the fire, it's not going to make things better. Why is it that functional medicine doctors, and and this is the case for some people, like you said, believe that hypochloridia or too low stomach acid is the driving issue for reflux. Can we talk about that mechanism? Well, it actually can be. And it's like, yeah, to be, you know what I mean? It just, the, the bummer of functional medicine, let me just go off on like a quick little ranty rant for one hot second. It's like the bummer of functional medicine where it gets a bad rap because I love you and I, we love functional nutrition. We love medicine. It's our thing. You know, it's our whole thing. It's just that anything that gains in popularity has the opportunity to sort of be like bastardized. And what the, the issue that we're running into is template medicine. It's cookie cutter template driven protocols. Like if this, then that, if 
acid reflux, then hypochloridria, which means hydrochloric acid. Bingo, bango, dodge Durango. We just solved everybody's problems. And sometimes it's that, that simple. And like the 20% of the times when it's that simple, that's awesome. Those are our hero cases. Like everybody rides off into the sunset. You're like high five and it's good for morale. But what do you do for like the rest of the people where it's not that simple? Like these are the people that are just being dropped into the bucket. Conventional model failed them and now the functional model failed them. And so sometimes it really is that simple where it's like, it's low stomach acid. We just need to give them stomach acid and everything is great. Not always the case though. Ultimately what's going on more often than not, chronic heartburn, chronic acid reflux is more of like a muscular issue. So we have these sphincter muscles. So if you're like me and your you know, sense of humor is like a sixth grade boy, like get ready to chuckle because we're going to talk about sphincters and like buttholes and stuff. But we have this GI tube, which is like mouth to anus, right? Mouth to bum. And along the way, there's a set of muscles that open and close. And that's just to make sure that everything's moving in the right direction, like in the event, unless there's like an emergency and we have to, you know, get rid of something fast. But if we didn't have these muscles, like, you know, poop would like drip out of your butt the whole time. So we have to like make sure things are like, we have these sphincter muscles and they really should be toned to the point that they can open when they need to open and close when they need to close. And we have this one called the lower esophageal sphincter or the LES, which is like at the lower end of the esophagus. And if that is not, doesn't have an appropriate tone, if it can't close all of the way, if it's weak or loose or lax, that's when acid can move from the stomach up into the esophagus. And this can even happen when there's low stomach acid. And sometimes that low stomach acid actually changes the pressure to make it more likely for this to happen. And so sometimes, again, repleting the acid can be super beneficial, but not always. And to your point, if there is burning going on, if there's any type of gastritis, the way that I describe gastritis, it's basically like a boo-boo on the inside. The lining of the stomach is kind of like a silky or like a not silk blanket, but like, yeah, silk, right? Like satin, you know, like satin sheets, what I'm envisioning right now. They're pink in my mind, you know, and it should really be like slippery and kind of just like a, a silky blanket. And when there's gastritis, there's kind of like an open wound on the inside. And so you would imagine like, ouch, that would hurt. Now imagine throwing acid on that. It's going to really hurt a lot. And so there are some instances where digestive support like hydrochloric acid would actually be contraindicated. What we actually need to do is kind of reinstate that slippery blanket, like allow the gastritis to heal before we go in gangbusters with a ton of acid. And I think that that's a little bit of an overlooked conversation. I think so too. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Yeah. But so, you know, I think with a lot of clients and and I'm going to back us up and then bring us back here because this is a really important spot to live in. I think with a lot of clients, what I'm seeing again are active reflux symptoms. So if you're actively feeling burning, nausea, by the way, we didn't even talk about it, bloating, belching, especially like upper belly bloating and things like that. If you're noticing that right now, and we can think about, again, that gastritis, we can think about the fact that there's this active inflammatory and burning that's happening. We don't want to pour more lemon water or betaine HCL on the fire. And, uh, you know, we often think there are things that are good for us, quote unquote. And we know that having an appropriate amount of stomach acid is extremely important for our health. 
So we want to just give people who have low stomach acid, we want to give them acid quick. What do we, let's actually walk it back to there and then we'll come back. Aaron, what do we need stomach acid for? Why is it so important that we don't have low stomach acid? Oh, like an ode to stomach acid. Well, it does, it sure does a lot. We need it to start to break down proteins. We need to need it to absorb certain things from our food, like super high level. We need stomach acid to absorb nutrients from our food. It also kind of sets off the the rest of the, the chain of digestion. So our digestion is a top down process. I know everybody like is loves the microbiome. Like me too, me too. I love it. And you know, are you even a functional provider if you're not quoting Hippocrates on your website? All disease begins in the gut. You know, like we gotta like owe to the microbiome. It's doing so much for us, but we fail to recognize like gut health isn't as simple as like a four hundred dollar stool test. We actually have to swim upstream, and so we have to really you know, have deep reverence for the fact that digestion is a top-down process. And so if things aren't working well at the top of the chain, they're not going to work well further on down the line. And so if we're not producing enough stomach acid, then we're not signaling to the pancreas to release pancreatic digestive enzymes. We're not signaling to the gallbladder to release bile. So then we're not really able to break down our food further on down the line, right? And so we need stomach acid to start the digestive process, but we also need it to signal the rest of the of digestion. It also can operate as kind of like a first line of defense against pathogens and foreign invaders. If you think about food, we're like bringing the outside world in to our bodies. There's like a lot of potential risks with that. You know, you think about anything that you can consume on food. Ideally, we have an acidic enough environment in our stomachs to like kill off any pathogens or any critters that are going to make us sick. So stomach, I'm sure I'm forgetting some things too. What else am I forgetting? Stomach acid sure does a lot. Well, I mean, the fact that you are also breaking foods down, you're getting nutrients and, and synthesis of vitamins and minerals as a result of that. And it utilizes a lot of minerals and its pumps and creation too, but it's extremely important. And we know this relationship, this is so fat, this has been fascinating and playing off of what you're saying too, which is that we know recently PPIs were under fire, proton pump inhibitors, which are the drugs that are generally used to treat acid reflux, were under fire because of their link with Alzheimer's and their link with these other conditions, because if you do not have enough stomach acid, you will not be able to have enough B12 vitamin. And I think that's a big piece of it. And certainly, like you said, that we have to think of our stomach acid as being this first line of defense from a digestive perspective against pathogens and things like that. And also it's where it's kind of that point where we're starting to digest protein, fat, and carbs in some means, even though carb digestion starts in the mouth, protein digestion is mostly in the stomach. And, and we think of fat digestion as being related to the liver and bile and all these things. This is kind of where, you know, again, that signaling happens to be able to properly break food down. When we're talking about digesting food, we're also talking about later on absorption, which is where we're actually going to get the nutrients we need from food. So if your digestion is not appropriate from that point, you're going to have issues later on. The one thing I want to, oh, go ahead. Tell me what you're going to say. See, I was like, ah, like, I got so excited because this is something that I don't want to forget to say this because this is not really being discussed all that much. And with the uptick in all the food sensitivities, we have to talk about hydrochloric acid because the thing to understand about protein, like uh, the only our immune system won't negatively react to individual amino acids. 
it will inappropriately, it has the potential to inappropriately react and respond to peptides, to like bigger branches of protein, right? So if we have amino acids and they like form peptides and polypeptides, and then they eventually form proteins. And those are the bigger compounds that our immune system is going to say, it's going to flag and tag for destruction. It's going to say like, wait a second, I don't recognize that. Like we got to get this out of here. And then we can have, we can become more prone to food sensitivities. But if we have the ability to break down our proteins into smaller and smaller and smaller structures into those individual amino acids, we are less likely to have ongoing food sensitivities. And so hydrochloric acid, stomach acid is a major part of that too. And I just didn't want to like forget that because, hey, guess what? One of the symptoms of food sensitivities might be acid reflux. Yes. It's so freaking important. And and we're, we keep walking forward and walking back. So walking back to, <laughs> I said that I'm like protein digestion is mostly in the stomach. What we mean by that is that process of breaking those long chains of amino acids into, and peptides into shorter chains of amino acids has to happen in the stomach so that your body can then kind of move through the next stage of digestion. And if you're taking those longer chains of amino acids or peptides and putting them into the next stage of digestion, it gets wacky for your small intestine. Your body's like, I don't know what the heck you just sent me. What is that? And that can cause a lot of those autoimmune conditions. The other thing that we have to have to talk about is that stomach acid, there's so much. Oh, we're going to, I need you for a long time here. So I was like, stomach acid. Two hours. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like need you. I have so many places I want to go. So I'm walking it back first and then I'm coming back to this because I will, I will not forget this. So when I think of hypochloridia, too low of stomach acid, I am picturing like your, think of your stomach like a vat of acid. And if you pour you know, we want it to be nice and full of acid for that to happen. If you pour something like a hamburger down into that vat of acid, it's going to, let's picture it almost like burning it up. It's not what's actually happening in, in a perfect sense, but let's picture it like that. If a quarter of that is filled, you have your vat of acid and you pour a hamburger down there, it can't break it down. It can't burn it up. We don't have that in, in Ayurveda. We say the Agni. We don't have that digestive fire to burn it. So what happens is it ends up sitting there. It gets fermented and the bacteria that actually come to eat it because it's, it, it's bacteria and bad bugs we don't want because it starts feeding on it and fermenting. The fermentation process, the bacteria basically farts and that's what causes the belching, the bloating, and all that discomfort. So that's one huge issue why we get so bloated with reflux. The other thing is, like we said, you're having all of these things just sitting in your stomach and what can happen as a result is then you get bloated, your stomach pushes outwards and that lower esophageal sphincter that we were talking about, that's what makes it kind of flap up and then the acid can push up too. So that's how low stomach acid can cause acid reflux symptoms. What also happens is your body's like, oh crap, we don't have enough acid and starts pumping out extra acid to compensate. And then you end up having too much. And like you said, Aaron, most importantly in the wrong place. And that's the issue with reflux. And I think, again, we're so focused on the amount, but, and which is the more root cause way to think of it, but we have to think about where it's going and those sphincters, because if the sphincters were tight and we had too much acid, we wouldn't really have an issue because it wouldn't be going in the wrong place. Exactly. I had to walk us back to there for why hypochloridia can cause a potential issue. Same thing where you pour the food in and it sits there. Same thing's going to happen with bacteria and viruses too, is that it's not going to be, you, you want to burn these things up. We need a certain pH at a very specific level to do these tasks. We want it to be burning hot in there and we don't want it to be burning hot anywhere else basically. And, and that's where that issue is. 
And then, you know, you brought up fermentation, which I kind of want to close the loop on one of the questions because we were sort of talking about like maybe there's some there's some situations where hydrochloric acid supplementation might be contraindicated. You know, we were talking about like if the fire's burning, like we don't want to pour more gasoline on the fire, so to speak. There's another situation with methane, which used to be called methane-dominant SIBO, which is now just emo, like if there's an overproduction of methane gas, right? And so this is part of the fermentation picture, but methane, like an overabundance of methane gas, methane gas is produced by methanogens. They're not necessary. they're not technically bacteria, they're archaea, but you know, whatever. They're producing methane gas. And methane gas really can impact motility and it can almost sometimes cause like a reverse motility where things are moving in the wrong direction. So rather than everything swimming downstream, an overabundance of methane gas can kind of like back things up so we can get the bloating, we can get the nausea, we can get the burping, the belching, and the heartburn. And so we wouldn't really know if you're dealing with this unless you do get like a SIBO breath test, you know, to see the, like the concrete data that you ha- you have it. But hydrochloric acid supplementation is contraindicated in a lot of these cases because methane, methanogens feed on hydrogen. And so if you're adding hydrochloric acid, that's hydrogen, you're actually feeding the things that are causing the symptoms. So that's just another little like nuance, but not to be overlooked. Yeah, that's really powerful. And first of all, I have to tell you, I'm kind of like over SIBO in some ways because I think it's been oh, so overdiagnosed no. and obsessed. So I think yeah. I'm not over SIBO. Like I, compl- there, it's obviously real. It's obviously a condition that people are dealing with. I hear but you. But for me, SIBO is not the rootiest of root causes. I feel like it's we didn't. We still have cause, to go back period. further. Exactly. And a lot of this is a new thing in functional medicine is like everything SIBO. When I have a client who's like, maybe I have SIBO. I'm like, I know, but you probably have something else too that we have to actually talk about. So like, let's, let's, we'll get there and it's important, but this is so essential because when we think of gut health too, we think of it as being very fragmented and we think of you have just a reflux condition or you have just IBS. And it's so important because treating one condition again with something like SIBO it's a pop weasel with our digestion. So you have to be really conscious of what's going on all the way through and interpreting symptoms and interpreting tests. It's really sensitive process. So that's such a good example of that. And I thank you for that. It's also this nerve wracking feeling of things going upstream. We don't want that direction. I'm like, I don't want anything going up, you know? And it's just important that what you could read something online, lemon water saved my digestion. Lemon water for one person can be, again, adding to that fire, making people burn. And for another person, giving them adequate stomach acid. So it's, it's, not, not adequate, but enough or added stomach acid. So it's, it's really important to be individualized, especially when it comes to reflux. And I have clients who sometimes we're doing a little baking soda to cool off. Sometimes we're doing a little lemon water to bring up that heat. It's dependent day by day, not even person by person. It's dependent day by day for that person because reflux is so viciously uncomfortable for people too, I think. Yeah. And like that, you know, that's not we don't want to just miss that part of the conversation. Like ultimately we want to get you comfortable, like first and foremost. So if you're doing a strategy that is working for you in that you are not miserable all day, like well done, that's pretty awesome. And I also don't want to like terrify people about taking hydrochloric acid. Generally when I say what I say to people with like digestive support, digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid, you'll know if it's like not a fit for you. If you're taking it and your symptoms get worse, 
then don't do it. You know, it's not going to cause like a terrible amount of damage. You know what I mean? It's it's relatively safe. I know it sounds a little scary because we're talking about eating acid, uh, but it's relatively safe. And, you know, typically speaking, you're going to know like, ooh, I did this and things got worse. Then that's not the strategy that you want to use at that moment in time. Totally. And there are many, again, all of these are solutions that could be for the person listening. This is not nutrition or medical advice, obviously, but these are all potential pathways. Just listening to your own body, again, understanding like, uh, you know, things are already too hot. Things are already too not feeling good, not to jump into something that could potentially be more harmful. So just taking it slow and gentle. So when it comes to low stomach acid and eating patterns, there's a couple things that I think are very fascinating, which is that, first of all, I noticed on my vegetarian and vegan diet that I stopped having interest in meat. And this is something I see happen quite a bit. And I, I had, my explanation for this is that while our kind of baseline of health, it stays strong, things can alter our body and, and our bodies are... are bodies of efficiency. So if your body anticipates that it won't be getting a huge protein load anytime soon, it's not going to produce a tremendous amount of acid. Because remember, acid production is very necessary for protein breakdown. That's a huge piece of it. So I see the transition for people from being you know, vegetarian and vegan to going to eat meat. One of the issues they run into is they're not interested in meat. And in my head, I'm like, well, it's not because you don't want to eat meat, potentially. It's actually because your body doesn't have the appropriate amount of stomach acid now as it's been operating at, with a low amount. It's It hasn't needed much. And our body learns, you know what? If I don't need too much stomach acid to break this down, I'm not going to produce that much stomach acid. So we have these bodies of, of tremendous efficiency and our bodies notice what we need and kind of compensate for that. And it, it, the, the other issue is obviously with B12, it's a compounding issue with vegan and vegetarian diets. So this is one thing I just want the listener to hear is that if you're a person who hasn't eaten meat historically or a person who wants to eat more protein, but is struggling because you don't have an interest in meat, low stomach acid could actually be a reason for that or a driver of that. So it's something you might want to explore a little bit too. And then this piece, you know, this is so hot right now. Also, like even my, you know, my friend, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, protein's hot right now. It's always been hot, but it's really, really hot right now. I think for people, it's hard to start to introduce meat if they haven't been eating it a while. I want you to talk into all of this, kind of the non-meat eating, reflux, acid piece of the puzzle. So I'm going to start off the whole conversation so people don't come and fight me. Listen, I'm a fighter, but I'm tired. I've been doing this for 12 years. I'm tired. You know, like the fight has gone out of this girl. No one's, no one's fighting us. Yeah. We're not, we're just going to like block you. It's just like, I'm not doing it yet. No. And I'm very good. Like I have very sweet listeners who are very eager to learn. So they're more curious than fighting. Yes. So I was a vegetarian for 20 years. So from 20 to 30, I was a vegetarian and I did some year long stints of veganism throughout that. So I completely understand the desire and the morality behind vegetarian and vegan diet. I actually stopped or started eating meat. I gave birth to my daughter. I was super sick and intuitively just knew I'm like, gosh, I got to do this for my health. Like I, I, it was almost like taking a vitamin because I didn't enjoy it. I and mean, I had absolutely lost my taste for it. And because I had low stomach acid, because it's kind of that lose it or use it mentality that you were just talking about, I didn't really have like a big, you know, I couldn't really put a whole bolus of protein into my gut and have it feel good. That's like another thing. If people are like, I can't really eat a lot of protein because it feels like it just sits like a brick. It's like, ooh, that's that's a low stomach acid thing, my dude, you know? And so I had to sort of like try 
train myself back into eating meat. Like I, I started with bone broth, like homemade bone broth. It's kind of like the gateway drug because you kind of do, if somebody is like meat curious or animal protein curious, this is kind of the way that I would like tiptoe your way into it. Some people are like just looking for permission to start eating meat. I've definitely had a lot of those clients. They're like, oh, it's not bad for me. I can eat it. Oh my God, thank you. Because I've like been really craving it. If you're craving meat, like go eat it. If you're craving animal protein, your body knows what's up. Your body in all of its innate wisdom is telling you what it needs. I remember the way I like broke my veganism. I was having dreams about eating salmon. Like in my dreams, I was consuming fish. <laughs> like my mom bought it for me and I just ate like a pound of salmon one night. And then the next day I ate a pound of salmon. <laughs> like my body was like telling me exactly what it needed. Right. And so I just listened to that. And so there can be so much like shame and like self-flagellation and judgment around what we're doing and what we're choosing to consume. And I like, we just have to like ultimately listen to our body, right? So that's part of the conversation. So if you are kind of curious about it, but you're like, gosh, I don't really have a, like a, a taste for it or a stomach for it, start slow and kind of like build your way up. So doing some homemade bone broth, I would like blend it in with roasted butternut squash soup. So it felt like I was eating a vegetarian meal, but just kind of like tiptoeing my way in. And then I kind of had to eat like a toddler. Like I had to separate out like chicken, for example, or meat. Like I couldn't have it mixed in with everything. Like I had to like separate it out and eat it separately being like, okay, I did that. I took the vitamins and now I move on to the the rest of the meal. And now that was like eight years ago. Now I can just eat like normally, but it took a while. And throughout that process, I was also supporting the digestive process. So I was personally taking hydrochloric acid. I was taking a lot of digestive enzymes. I also want to throw this out there. I was bulimic for eight years. So I kind of trained my digestive system to move in the wrong way. Talk about that reverse motility. I was like every single day, I was like priming the pump to go in the opposite direction, right? So I really need more digestive support like more so than the average person because of that eight years of like trauma to my GI tube essentially. So just kind of keep that in mind. It, it definitely took a long time for me to be able to reintroduce meat successfully, but that's kind of how I went about it. And usually how I help my clients tiptoe their way in. I, I really appreciate you sharing both kind of pieces of your story too. It's, it's why I always appreciate our conversations so much because you come with extreme client experience and total error and experience too. So I really, I, I actually just commend you so much for always being so transparent. I'm an open book like you are. And I also ate a vegan diet for over 10 years. And that's when my reflux was the worst funny enough. Cause you're not, you're not eating the things that would trigger it. Right. And I think what one thing we definitely want to talk about is also the conventional treatment of reflux is really focused on not kind of eating foods that are going to piss your digestion off, right? You're kind of like, don't eat spicy foods. Don't eat foods that make that lower esophageal sphincter floppy, you know, make ones that eat ones that make it strong, but it's not focused on, as we always know, the root cause, which is why you have low stomach acid in the first place. So if you are, like you said, you know, that's the tricky part with transitioning from vegan to meat consumption is your brain's responding to the cue in your body. I don't want this, but the only thing that's going to ultimately make it better is also eating it because you need those nutrients from it. So it's this really tricky place. And, and with reflux specifically, I, I can't overstate how uncomfortable it is. And I get a lot of, I call it like the, the trifecta, which is you get a blood sugar issue. You get 
reflux and anxiety and they happen in this loop. So you get acid reflux, you get these very uncomfortable symptoms. You can't eat that not eating triggers more reflux because your body's going to release acid in anticipation of food. And then those two things together, that jitteriness plus the gnawing, that's anxiety. I mean, that's what anxiety feels like at its core, right? So for a lot of people who are transitioning, it's important to kind of crack into the cycle where you can. And I love that you just were babying your body in the most sweet way possible. With people who have really extreme reflux, I'll sometimes do like a one day where we eat, I say, I call it rabbit eating too. You eat like one little food at a time. And it's don't try to mix foods because you want your digestion to be like, here's protein. Got it. Here's carb. Got it. Because the more complicated digestive processes can be challenging for the body. So this is also true in a lot of Eastern medicine, not mixing different types of foods at the same time. When it comes to reflux also, I, again, it's eating really slowly. Remember that your digestion, while it's down like that, it needs the things, but it doesn't know how to do it all at once. So eating slowly and chewing really mindfully and just giving your digestion the best chance is super helpful. And I have to say just another thing off the top of my head that I find very helpful is eating and drinking at separate times. I don't know if that's something that you've worked with or experienced. I I think there's a couple reasons why that's effective. Do you want to kind of talk into that a little bit too? Yeah. So the idea is that like if we're consuming large volumes of food, and I don't mean like a sip of water or a sip of wine, but like, you know, like a full glass of water what with a meal, it like dilutes the digestive juices essentially. So we're not like, we don't have, you know, it's, you keep referring to it as like the inner fire. It's like, imagine what, what if you threw a glass of water on the inner fire, it's just not going to be as fiery, dampens. right? And it dampens it. And then we also are creating, it's more volume of food, which can put pressure on that sphincter muscle. So sometimes I'll notice folks that if they eat like a large volume of soup or something like that, for example, yes. number one, it's a large volume of food. So it can put the pressure on the, the sphincter and loosen it. But number two, there's not as much chewing. And so the active mass like actually chewing your food is part of what stimulates the entire digestive process. It it basically is like yelling down to your stomach, like get ready, food is coming. So if somebody's like chugging a smoothie or like eating a lot of soup or like I'm thinking of like, you know, liquid large volumes, they're not chewing. And so they're not starting that whole process. So there's a kind of like a number of different things that can happen. But generally speaking, I don't want to make people like afraid to drink around their meals. No, of course not. You just don't want to do like a large volume, especially if you're, you're struggling with like a lowered digestive capacity. Yeah. And I think, listen, none of this is nutrition or medical advice. I always have to say it, but when someone's suffering with reflux and it's, I just, I hate, ref- of all symptoms, histamines and reflux are like my nemesis. Like they're the ones I hate the most because uh, they're so yeah. full body, you know, and I, I see it in my clients so much where they can have flares and it's like three freaking days. If, if telling someone or someone picks up from us saying this on just eating slower, just, you know, being more, just chewing a little more and that could make an impact on those really uncomfortable flares. Like it's mind blowingly simple information, but I think mind blowingly transformative too. I I really do feel that way. And I see it usually when I come and we know this better than anyone and we preach this more than anyone, but most of the issues that we have with our health are coming down to like the acts of being human. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, you're eating like hunched over your stomach's like pushing up into your throat essentially when you're doing that and you're not being mindful. So your body doesn't have a chance to catch up with your digestion. Like, 
and you're eating a bunch of, you know, like highly dense, very hard to digest foods. Like, yeah, it's going to be stressful for your body. And we're not talking about the body being broken, but we want to give our body as much support and love and ease as possible too. So there's times when it's really good to challenge our body and, when it comes to reflux, I think the move is always like slight little tiny challenges. Like we're saying, if you want to try a little lemon water to be more acidic, a little bit of bitters, great. If you want to, you know, try to eat a little bit of meat at each meal, but the goal with reflux is never to pound it. I think that's just something that you're going to have that it's a very reactive process too. So I think that's something to really keep in mind with reflux. And then when it comes to people who have been on PPIs for a long time, we're not medical doctors, so we would not be able to advise a wean or anything like that. But certainly it's known that you're going to have less acid production for some amount of time because that's the goal of those drugs. So you can pretty much know almost indefinitely that and inevitably that you're going to have low stomach acid if you've been on PPIs. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, because that's you were taking a drug to lower yeah. your stomach acid. <laughs> so that, totally. that is a good line of thinking. That it's good to know that you might have hypochlority. I think the trap people get into a lot, again, and there's reflux is weird like this, again, because you get into these cycles. You get into that like low blood sugar, reflux, anxiety cycle, and you can get into, well, if I don't take the PPI, I'm going to have more reflux because there is something called rebound reflux from the PPI. So I think that's where that sensitivity needs to come in, where it's like, I know in my head I need to increase my stomach acid in the long term, but I need to know that right now, if I'm actively experiencing it, I might need to be more gentle with myself. So it's it's this it's this sweet combination. And Aaron, for you, you don't only target acid by giving the body more acid. You really focus on those sphincters. Is there any tips you have for us to strengthen the tone of those sphincters, the lower esophageal, you know, we can start with or any in the digestive tract? So we j- we've talked through a bunch of strategies already. There's one that we haven't touched upon. I mean, you base you just barely mentioned it, digestive bitters, like adding more bitter foods. So I'll talk about that in a second. But I don't want to forget to throw this pro tip out there for, again, not medical advice. Run it through your own filters. But this can be so soothing, like literally soothing. If you're dealing with any type of reflux or you're coming off meds, not that we're telling you to do that, go to your prescribing doctor and you're getting that rebound reflux is using any type of mucilaginous herbs. And I love to get them in powder form. So this is like things that that do exactly what they say. Like they like form like mucus, like they were, you know, like they get sticky and like slimy. So this would be things like marshmallow root, slippery elm, licorice root, as long as you're not, you don't have high blood pressure, you wouldn't want to use licorice root in that case. And I buy them in powder form. And a lot of them are actually inherently sweet. And then you can just mix them with a little bit of warm water and it forms like this sludge, but it's not, it's like weirdly not. It's not offensive tasting. No, yeah, none it's of like, them are offensive. No. And then yeah. you just drink it down. And I just like imagine too, it's like this like nice coating of like the entire digestive tract. And it's just very, it can be anti-inflammatory. It can be very soothing. And that's a great way to kind of leverage some plant medicine as a way to like build a bridge to get you from where you are to like where you want to go. I love that strategy. I use it with a lot of my clients. I use it personally. So I want to share it here. I was just going to say using those supplements and I know it's very popular for reflux to use DGL also. That's another really popular supplement. Have you found success with DGL? I'm just going to go out and say that I never, it's never been the thing that helps me. I have. 
And I have found it in my clients. I have actually. And I feel like DGL plus has some of those nice, soft mucusy kind of promoting herbs in it too. So that's possibly why I probably don't use it as much as own. I actually have found it's been helpful for clients before. And it's, it's again, it totally depends on the person and which is why we're not giving supplement recommendations. But again, if we're doing anything to soothe in the meantime, and when we think of functional nutrition, I think people often think we have to treat the root cause and forget about the symptoms. It's like, no, we can work on the symptoms at the same time. So I think what you're saying is making something that's soothing and feels really good while you're working on all these things to promote more stomach acid, which is again, a a huge issue. I think it's estimated by the way, and we didn't say the statistic before that about 70 to 80% of cases of acid reflux are from hypo low stomach acid. So it is going to be in a lot of cases. And for people who have taken that medication, almost every single one of those cases. So while you're working on that, but you don't want to add more fire, you can soothe first. And then if you want to add that more fire, and I think of again, Eastern medicine too, when I think of that digestive fire and, and knowing where your body's at, even from an emotional standpoint, like not like that's, I think of fires being like anger. Right. And I know, I notice when I'm angry, I'll feel it like in my solar plexus vibes. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I think of like working, uh, of course, the emotional and stress standpoint of it, we're going to talk about too, but what were you going to say before that? I'm sorry. I'm like, well, now I want to get into solar plexus and anger, bitter foods. You know, we don't really consume a lot of bitter foods in our culture. They're so important and bitter foods can help to tonify that LES, that lower esophageal sphincter. Bitter foods also help to promote and stimulate the production of bile. We know we love bile for emulsifying our fats, helping us break down our dietary fats, but it also does like so many other things. Setting the pace of motility is one of them. Lubing up the GI tract is another one. So all of these things are really important to prevent acid reflux, but bitter foods, if you can work some of these into rotation, like this is like the money shot. I will, I love digestive bitters. I just find that compliance is really low with my clients, myself included. That's not a dig. It's just because you have to kind of take them like 15 to 20 minutes before a meal, you know? And it's like, I always forget. It's like, it's just not a habit stack with, with, with digestive enzymes. I'm taking them with my meal. So it's like, it's, it's all happening, but with digestive bitters, they work best if you take them before the meal, like a good chunk of time before the meal. And it's like, I'm, you know, people forget. So working bitter foods into rotation is great. So this would be like your arugula, your endive, the radicchio. Like when you think about the foods, you kind of like make that like weird face, those foods, like work them into rotation. I mean, we like cacao, cocoa is a bitter, coffee is a bitter, but what I learned from and Louise Gittleman, who's like been in this industry like, you know, decades and decades and decades longer than you and I, if we are overriding the bitter with sweet, we're not getting the benefit of the bitter. Like we really should be able to taste the bitter. So for example, drinking coffee black, that's great bitter. Drinking coffee with like milk and sugar and cream, you're not really accessing like the bitter potential of that food. So same thing with chocolate, right? Cacao or cocoa is like, it's it's bitter on its own. Once you mix it with sugar, it's not as much of a, of a therapeutic bitter food. Dandelion root tea is another really great one. It's super easy to get in. You can just, I love to brew my tea super strong. So like two bags, cover it, steep it for 10 minutes, and then drink it down. And you will find that the more you expose your taste buds to bitter, the less adverse you become to them. You kind of have to train your taste buds toward the bitter flavor. At first, it's aggressive. And then you're like, you find that you like weirdly crave more bitter foods. So I would, that's like just a real good blanket recommendation for like most people, just like eat more bitter foods. 
Every part of digestion too. Yeah. And I think what's easier for people too is just having some ginger before a meal sometimes can help. There's actual like bitter supplements that you can take also either you can put droplets in or they have actual like chewable bitters that you can take essentially. That's a part of it. We also did a second on digestive enzymes. So I have to go back to my diagram also of that vat of acid being our stomach, digestive enzymes are like little Pac-Men that live in that digestive vat. And the Pac-Men cannot live in a non-acidic environment. That's the only place that they can exist. So if you don't have that enough stomach acid, those digestive enzymes will not, they, they won't chomp, they won't bite away. And that's part of that process we said of the protein digestion and the fat digestion. Your stomach is responsible for protein digestion, but that bile that you're getting from your gallbladder, well, your liver and your gallbladder, one storing, one's creating, is going to be signaled to go into your small intestine by your stomach because it has the signaling process. So it's like one, it's a domino effect very much with our digestion. So it's essential that we signal, you know, CCK hormone to make sure that we get our bile anyway. So it's, it's really important. So bitters can help with the reason you're saying it. And it, and the reason I'm pulling these together is because bitters can help with our bile production, which is not what we typically associate with protein digestion, but what we associate with fat digestion, but what we influence in our protein digestion will also influence our fat digestion. And what we, what influences our stomach acid is going to influence our liver and vice versa, because our bodies are very bi-directional. Everything influences everything as a, you're like, the body's connected. What do you mean? Are you saying that things all work together in the human body? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You just learned this. Aaron just learned this. But the funny thing about all of this and the good thing about all of this is that we, we get nervous with reflux again, that there's this vicious cycle seemingly. But the fun part is if you crack in at the bile, if you crack in at the liver, if you crack in at the stomach, you can help yourself from any angle. So it's not like you have to only focus on stomach acid. You could focus on bile production and that could help you with reflux. You could focus on the quality of your stomach acid, making sure you're getting enough minerals and vitamins for the production of that. You could focus on your lower esophageal sphincter and things that help that. There's a there's a bunch of different ways that you can look at. And, and I just want anyone listening to know it's never free and hopeless at all when it comes to reflux, even though it feels like this vicious cycle. But there's so many ways you can crack into that too, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Cause when we start to get into like the nitty grit of all of this, it can really lead to a lot of overwhelm and like, Oh my God, there's so many ways that things can go wrong in my body. And like, you know, it's just overwhelming. And I love the way that you kind of reframed that for people. Cause I think the most important thing is like, yes, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but, and your body's like so resilient and it has such a capacity to change and to heal itself. And so like, you know, we've talked about probably like 25 different strategies, like pick one to like screw around with this week and just kind of see where that gets you to, you know, like it doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it out to be. We're just trying to pack this full of information and give people strategies. But I think I, li- I like that we've also given a lot, of, let me commend us. I like that we've given people a lot of strategies, but it was in a way that again, I don't like when podcasts are very like, here's the 10 ways to lower your reflux. Like that's so not our vibe, but we just want to give that basic foundational understanding of what's going on in the body. Some ways you can help yourself. And even though it's not nutrition or medical advice, and also understanding that if you are having these suspicious symptoms and you're like, I do not understand what's going on with my body. I, I get really freaking sick like three days a month and I totally don't understand it. The fun part of working with a practitioner is we kind of do. So we're like, oh, we'll know. So it'll be really fun working with a client because they'll be like, yeah, I get 
what do you mean? How'd you know I get randomly nauseous and can't eat breakfast or meat? Like, how did you know? And I'm like, because you're displaying clear symptoms of hypochloridia. So that's what's, that's what's my, where my brain's going. And that's the beauty of working with a practitioner too, is we have this puzzle drawn out for all of our clients' bodies. And we can kind of start to see, of course, with testing and verification of diagnosis, but even through just their speech, okay, here's where that kind of cog in the system is. Here's where this is going. So just know for yourself, even if you've been to conventional doctors or if even functional medicine doctors and you've gotten that one solution, take a PPI or take HCL, there's a lot more at play and a lot more ways you can go, which is really awesome too. Yeah. And one of the ways could be looking at your mental and your emotions, your, your, what's happening mm, on the landscape of your mind it. and your emotional body. Do we have time? Like, should we just go for it? Here's the deal. Uh, we're, I'm not letting you leave. Yeah. Go. <laughs> I'm going to call my assistant, clear my calendar for the day. I want to just preface this conversation by saying that we've been talking about the physical body this whole time, but we actually have four different bodies. We have the physical body. We have the emotional body. We have the mental body. We have the energetic body. I have been studying this for 15 years. I've been doing this work for 12 years and I've been mentoring for four years. I am not interested in any conversation about health that doesn't at least give a head nod to the fact that we are more than just our physical body. The science has caught up. It's official. It's all caught up with what ancient wisdom has been talking about forever, which is that they're all interconnected, right? The mind and the body are one. I like one of my sheroes is Candace Pert. And she was like a trailblazer, like back in the day. She was a female scientist. She had a just, she was coming up with like these brand new ideas. And like, I just, I mean, you, we always have to like, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Like we always have to give so much respect to like the, the people and the women that paved the way for us to be here. Her work is like chef's kiss perfection. But she says that the body is the subconscious mind. Like they're not different. They're one and the same. And so when it comes to different symptoms in the body, we have to also ask like, what else could be going on here? And what I don't like is when we talk too much about the brain or too much about like neural rewiring or subconscious programming or the emotional body and we bypass the physical body. That's not what I'm trying to do here. That's not what I'm about. We have to bring them all online because they're all interfacing with one another all day long. And so there are certain emotional roots of reflux. And I'm so glad that you brought up anger before, because like, that's such a big one. And you know, this is all contextual too. Like if you like crush a 30 rack and like eat a Domino's pizza at 2am and you fall asleep and you have heartburn. What's a 30 rack? For real? What is a, is it beer? It's beer. (laughs) Did we have different college experiences, Michelle? Yeah, I don't know. I was like, not well. I don't know. I was like smoking cigarettes and drinking Red Bull, but it was already like not smoking and drinking by college. I also like grew up in New York City. Like I know what like a 40 is. I don't know like what a a 30 rack is. Anyway, go on. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but go on. If you're drinking 30 racks and having dominoes, go on. Or a 40, you know, playing like Edward Scissorhands and like you've got two 40s taped to your hands, you know, like anyway, like there are some like really duh, like duh with like, maybe we don't blame like chronic 
rage for this issue. You know what I mean? Like we have to like think about it all contextually, but I'm always asking people, especially if they're coming with like a longstanding history of something, when did the symptoms begin? And like, what was going on at that time? Not just in the physical body, but like in your world, in your life. And like, you know, is this a chronic thing? Is this the first time ever? Like that is so relevant to the whole story. And so with chronic heartburn, acid reflux, I go to one of two emotions, anger. It's kind of like you're angry on the inside, right? If that fire that Michelle's been talking about, this fire that's burning, the agni, which is like the digestive fire, like there's this fire going on in the inside. What happens when that fire burns too bright and it doesn't have anywhere to go? It's like this internalized anger that has no appropriate outlet. And anger, when we back up, it's anger is like a very useful emotion. All of our emotions are pretty useful. Arguably, maybe not shame, but like all the other ones are kind of fair game. And so anger is just telling us like the way things are going right now, like I don't like them or that a boundary needs to be set or that a boundary has been broken or a boundary needs to be established. But like ultimately this is the way things are and I'm not good with it. So if we don't have a way to take action on that, if we don't have a way for that energy to come out, to be expressed, to be communicated or us to take action, if we don't have any control in the situation, that can really kind of like cause this fire to kind of burn bright. And so that's something that I would really think about because we can work on the physical body. We can implement all of the strategies. And I always like to take it like a little bit further, like a little bit deeper by saying, what else is going on? Is there something that you had to swallow that you had to deal with that you really couldn't appropriately digest? You know, like, you know, what, what did you have to like take down that you didn't want to take down? And again, this is kind of like there's situational anger and then there's like this chronic rage. And it's usually that like chronic low grade inner rage. That's the thing that's going to like grind down on your body from the inside out. The other emotion though is fear. And I was going to say that. I'm so glad you're saying that. Thank you. With like digestion, you know, because if you think about like fear of change, fear of the unknown, fear of like things not going exactly the way, not being able to like predict the future, that can cause a lot of like tummy troubles for a lot of different people. You know, often starting at like a really young age, you were talking about empath, like at a young age, I had to learn how to like run everybody's emotions through my own little body. And so I started getting tummy aches when I was a baby, you know, and like 39 years later, we're still here, you know? So it's like, so we have to really like kind of think about like what emotions, what energy is like running and coursing through our body. Like what's eating away at you at the inside, you know, what's going on in your life at large. So that's like the emotional body that we have to pay attention to. And then we have the energetic body. You mentioned the solar plexus chakra, right? So we have these energy systems throughout our body and the solar plexus is located pretty much like right where you would experience acid reflux, reflux. right? Like exactly right. right. Here, like above your navel, but below your sternum, like right at that point, like if you had like chronic burning, if like, if I was like point to it, that's the place you would point to is your solar exactly. plexus. And these energy centers in our body really interface and correlate with different body parts. So the solar plexus governs the stomach. It governs the pancreas. It governs the intestines, the upper intestines, the gallbladder and the liver. So like bingo, bango, the exact reflux organs. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we see imbalances in this energy center, we can see problems with these organs like ulcers or digestive disorders or reflux. This energy center really governs power, feelings of personal power or powerlessness. 
And what happens, like think about a time when your power was taken away from you. What were the two big emotions that came up? Probably anger, right? When our power gets zapped from us, we can probably feel pretty angry about it. Whether or not we communicate that, whether or not we can like identify that for ourselves, that's usually the emotion that's coming up. And then on the flip side of that, if we've been given too much power or too much responsibility, maybe like a parentified child, right? Like where I'm like, I've got way too much responsibility on my shoulders. That can also lead to chronic rage, anger, and resentment later in life. And there's nothing that's going to burn you up from the inside out like resentment. That'll do it. That's it right there, you know? And so we really kind of have to like think about this in terms of like if we're practicing or taking a root cause approach, what really is like the fundamental root of what's going on here? And I think about too, I'll just throw this out there in case it like lands with somebody. It's it's coming up. So it's probably going to resonate. We can like kind of keep this going if there's like an imbalance here because we are afraid there's that fear again, that if we don't, if we don't take on the responsibility of everybody else, if we don't uphold this power that we've been given, then they could leave. And we will always, there's like, Gabor Matei says, there's this clash between two essential needs, attachment and authenticity. P.S. Your solar plexus is all about your authenticity, like who you are, the author of your own story. But if we have to choose one or the other, attachment or authenticity, we will choose attachment nine times out of 10. You know, like we're not going to, it's safer. We're not going to sacrifice ourselves to like get kicked out of the tribe, the proverbial tribe. You know what I mean? So we, or excuse me, we will sacrifice ourselves in order to not get kicked out. And so all of this stuff needs to be acknowledged, needs to be witnessed, needs to be seen when we're talking about chronic acid reflux, like what's going on inside even when you think of like the incredible Hulk or something, when he's angry, think of that body being hunched over. Where is he holding that tension? It's right in that solar plexus area. It's right in your stomach. That's when we feel, when we feel anger, you feel it right in your stomach. And, and just, again, I think for people also to understand that our physical bodies, our head, our bodies, our energetic bodies, they are not only interconnected. They are the same thing. It's the same thing. Like if something is affecting you on a mental plane, it is it affecting you on a physical plane in that way. And when I think again of anger, I think of that tension being there. It's funny because I also think of like the resentment or the burning as like, I think of the movie American Psycho, like pa- Patrick Bateman, like is pop- yeah. popping the Tums in it. Like he's like that, that like intense level of being on, just think of when you clench your body during times of anger. That's exactly how you would clench it. And when it comes to fear, I also associate that area with fear too, because it's like <gasps> that kind of feeling and that kind of like shaking and rattling of, of, the, of your stomach. I definitely can feel it there. And we can think of it as, as we've said before, like butterflies in our stomach. And the other thing that's so powerful that you're saying is that when it comes to energy, there's different components of our health and energy and flow are so important. And reflux, we already told you in the beginning of the episode from a physical plane, the issue is that it's not maybe in some cases 
too much or too little acid, but that the flow is interrupted. So I think of reflux as being a huge blockage. It's a, it's a stopping point. It's a cog in the system. I say that in like every episode, by the way, I have to stop saying that phrase. It makes no sense to me, honestly, but it's, it's that blockage. And that's, what's so important is that you're not only focused on lowering it, increasing it, decreasing it, whatever it is, you're focused on introducing flow again to the system and whatever way you can possibly do that. That's what we were talking about with that bile. So I'm pulling together what you've already explained so well, Aaron, from a physical and an emotional plane, because again, it's the same thing. If you're introducing flow from a physical plane by introducing bile flow, you're introducing flow from an emotional plane in the same way by releasing yourself from obligations you don't need or from releasing yourself from resentment or something like that. It's the same exact body reactions happen on the physical plane and the emotional plane, which is so cool. And that's so relevant to reflux. Like flip it and reverse it. And if you are able, and this is like where my work is leading me, if you're able to release it or release the blockages from the like energetic and the emotional side, sometimes the physical body kind of like follows suit, right? So if we can release some of these patterns, right? Like we can release some of these like mental energetic patterns, like maybe the propensity to like over-function, to be like the American psycho, like going, 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 doing, doing, doing as a way to prove our worth, as a way to like like show up and tell the world, like I matter here, like I'm worthy. If we can release some of that, then our body can kind of like relax and like allow the uh, flow to take over. I'm, and I'm taking what you're saying like one more step further and saying there's almost no difference between if you approach it from a physical perspective or an emotional perspective, if that's what the root cause is also. Like you do have to target the one that's that's impacting you the most, but there is, there's no body process that is immune to the influence of our emotions and our, and our energetic body. There's nothing that is not influenced by it. It is who we are. It's, it's part of our body. It's, it is our body still, regardless of if we target it from a physical perspective or an emotional energetic perspective. I love saving this conversation for the end too. Like after we get into like, you know, like physiology, cause I'm like, see, I know what I'm talking about. Now I'm going to drop the hammer. <laughs> you know, like if you start talking about chakras, people are going to be like, I'm out. Like, I gotta go. It's so funny because like I've gotten to a point where when I think people are saying there's, there is something that is woo. And then there's just like actual Eastern medicine. And when people start saying something is woo, that just is medicine. I'm like, it's like kind of Eurocentric to think like that. And I, you know, this is something you and I have taught. It's not kind of, it is Eurocentric to think like that, but we're not really, we're both deeply spiritual people, but what we're talking about is still nutrition and medicine. We're not really talking about anything that is not proven at this point. We're, we're actually still in that realm of evidence base. And I had on, so this is airing in season two, so I'm not sure this is going to be before or after this episode with the author of a book called energy medicine, Jill Blakeway. And we really talk about these blockages and flow. So I think it, it just tied in so beautifully with that conversation. So I'm going to put them near each other too, because this is our bodies are all of Eastern medicine too. We think of our bodies as being a flow and of emotion and of momentum and of stagnation and reflux really is this buildup kind of condition. So I want people to think of it in that way too. Erin, thank you. Thank the heavens. We became friends. I'm so happy in the wooiest of ways, the universe, God, everyone. Erin, how do people find your amazing ass self? Where do they find you? Cause they're going to need more of you. And I'm certain about that. Let's see. The two main places would be Instagram and my podcast, the Functional Nutrition Podcast, the Functional Nutritionist. You'll link it up. You know how it goes. It's functional with a K because I like to keep it funky. 
funky. <laughs> yeah. And is there ways for people to work with you or your team if they wanted to take the Aaron approach? I always like, like, I'm like, go listen to the podcast, like catch a vibe, see if we're a good fit. See if you like my approach. Like I tend to like people coming to me like a little warm, like they've already, like they already get it. You know, there are ways to work with us and our team and in lots of different capacities. And so you can link up the the website if people want to poke around a little bit. Well, I really suggest they do and listen to literally every episode of Erin's podcast. She's like an OG serious podcaster and I am obsessed with every episode. I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. Thank you so, so much. I'm glad we made it work. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Quiet the Diet podcast. If you found any of this information relevant or you related to it, please feel free to share the podcast. It would mean the world to us. Also, remember to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram at quietthedietpod. We'll put the link in the show notes after each episode. Thank you again for listening. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode. 